welcome to Fish Across the Ponds, a Marlins UK podcast. I'm your host, Peter Pratt, and this week I'm delighted to welcome some Marlins podcasting heavyweights to the show for what is in effect a Marlins super pod. Firstly, managing editor of Fish Stripes and king of gifts, Eli Sussman. Eli, how are we? That's a new title for me, King of Gifts. <laughs> No, it's, the it's the right title, all, no doubt. Peter, one of the most positive people in all of Marlins Twitter and Jeremy, exactly the same. Both of you guys are uh, amazing to follow and listen to, and so I'm glad to be part of this. Awesome. Well, there you go. And, and, and rounding off our, 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 I guess, our heavyweights <laughs> for, this, for, this, for this podcast, um, we've got producer of the incredible Swings and Mishes podcast, and also part-time Justin Timberlake tribute act. <laughs> it's Jeremy Tache. <laughs> Jeremy, oh, how are we? Peter. Oh yeah, that's uh, I love that description too. I I'll take that over King of Gifts. I I love King of Gifts. Don't get me wrong, Eli, but to be Justin Timberlake impersonator, uh, I will take very happily. So uh, honored to be on here with you guys. This is such a cool idea, Peter. Thank you for having us. Um, you guys are obviously, I think, very highly of you both. You're both super talented podcast kind people so I'm, I'm excited to be here talking some marlins with you guys awesome well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this we we kind of set this in motion in spring we hit the pause button when everything else hit the pause button and um i'm glad that we can do it now as you know things i feel are trending in the right direction with the season um particularly the vibes out of marlins camp have been positive around testing and availability of testing so you know fingers crossed that, that, that things get off the ground and we actually make it through but um I'm conscious that some of the listeners um, aren't fully Marlins fans, let's say. There's some UK guys who probably tune in that, that, that may or may not know you. So I guess just a quick round of intros may be useful. Um, Eli, perhaps give, give the listeners a sense of, of what Fish Stripes is all about and, and how long you guys have been, have been running that for. Well, I was thinking about this specifically when you asked me <laughs> because I realized that I don't really describe fish stripes to people very often um, because <laughs> I guess it's very bare essence. It's a blog. I mean, it's part of the SB Nation network of blogs. We cover the Marlins. The site was founded over 15 years ago, but you, you guys see me. I'm, I'm, I was not an adult 15 years ago. I was not mm -hmm. running the sites all that time. I've only been running it since early 2018. I've been a part of it like a year before that. Uh, initially, mostly just taking control of the entire social media presence. But at this point now, I got my fingers in everything. Um, and I don't think blog really covers it. We're just fish fan heaven. If you are a Marlins fan, everything about the team, uh, daily articles on our website, daily tweets on our Twitter account, across all social media, and uh, a lot of expansion into podcasting, into video production, all of it centered on the Marlins, the major league roster, of course, but increasingly the prospects as well, knowing how important they are to the future of the organization. And that's why it's been such, it's been such a fortunate time for me to like for this transition to happen with me personally, because it did kind of coincide with new ownership taking over. Mm. Uh, there weren't very many prospects to speak of in early 2018 and then boom, all those trades and all the improvement that those prospects have made internally. It's been a lot of fun to follow. And it's at a point where it's essentially half of our coverage now is following those prospects delivering as many highlights as we can. I take a lot of pride in that, as many highlights as possible of these young guys when they're in the minor leagues, when they're in their off seasons, when they're in their winter leagues, 
uh, finding just any little pieces that we can track their development. And that's what's so gratifying is when they make it to the big leagues and seeing that we were able to see that progression every step of the way, both personally and professionally for these players. And uh, I really take pride in how we engage with Marlins fans, how we collaborate occasionally with other fan bases as well. A lot of friendly banter between us. And uh, it's, it's essentially, it's always there for you year round, every single day with new Marlins things, both current and historical as well. And uh, I'm, I'm privileged to have a nice staff beneath me that, um, that, that covers, they, they put in a lot of the dirty work to cover all these live workouts that we're seeing, attending the press conferences, and we like to collaborate on special projects, everything from the prospects to the Marlins Hall of Fame that we have on our website, looking back at mm. most accomplished players in franchise history. So I like to think we cover the entire spectrum that has been this Florida Marlins, Miami Marlins franchise. I think you you do it perfectly. Um, <laughs> it, it's an incredible. The content you guys put out is is absolutely awesome. Um, there's there's no better word to describe it than that. So, yeah, I, I tip my cap to you and your staff. It's it's an awesome platform, and yeah, the podcasts are, are brilliant as well. And, and and like well, the gifts we've already mentioned. The gifts are you know. That's a subscription package all in itself, I think, right? I mean, uh, yeah, coming up on I, a I agree with the gifts, almost at a thousand gifts that I've made since uh, what, taking over the Twitter account. That was at the end of 2017 that I started doing the tweets. And so we're, the library has almost a thousand, everything from player reactions, those are the most popular, but also the non-player reactions from Jeter and Michael Hill, uh, mm -hmm. from Marlins Media, both of you guys are in the gift library. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> Actually, yes. Jeremy's one from spring training. I even forget. It must, was it either 2019 or 20 or this year? I think it was this. I think it was this year. I think it might've been. Just struck an excellent pose. It was <laughs> our friend, uh, Daniel Alvarez Montes that recorded it. And it was yeah. an epic reaction. So I, I like to, whenever I see one of those things happening, I like to preserve it because it's very easy to lose track of those things. Yeah, but um, when you look back on it, especially without context, that's all the fun is reliving it without the context. It's uh, I think it brings a lot of joy to people. Yeah, I agree, mate. It's, it, it, it's awesome. And, you know, keep them coming. I'm really intrigued to see when you deploy these media gifts. That is going to be, you know, that's going to be an interesting, yep. interesting point for sure. <laughs> um, that's that's the key. It's going to be when it's like eighth inning in a game and, and Eli's out here tweeting a, a gif of you, Peter, just out of context for no one to possibly understand from the Fish Stripes account. It'll be perfect. Yeah, I, I know. I know of one that he's uh, he's 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 cut in the past. I I I tried pitching for the first ever oh, time some time ago, and um, I was recording it. I was recording a, like a, a vlog uh, coverage of me starting and playing baseball for the first ever time. And um, anyway, awesome. it's fair to say that the first pitch. Um, <laughs> It, it 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 was kind of Tehran Guerrero esque almost in some ways. Oh god, it was high and high and up uh, on the inside, that's for sure. But anyway, um, I love it, Jeremy. What about you? How how did you get involved with the Swings and Mishes project? And 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 as well, one other question I was thinking, which is we should always think about ourselves as podcasters, is what was your favorite or what has been your favorite episode so far? Oh man. <laughs> so okay, so that's a that's such a tough question, yeah. and, I, and I'll get to it as I'm as I'm explaining here. I'll also try be trying to think about what my favorite episode has been. Uh, back in 2018, uh, summer of 2018, so around the same time as Eli, actually, 
um, Craig was starting up a, a new Marlins podcast under under a podcast network at the time. We've since branched branched off on our own um, as Swings and Mishes in its own entity. There's swingsandmishes.com. We have you know t- all the social media, etc. Uh, but Craig was starting up the podcast and I had established a bit of a relationship uh, with the folks who were working for that network at the time. Um, and so we were sort of paired together as I guess I had done enough on Twitter to prove that I knew baseball to some folks down here in South Florida. Uh, I was working already at WSVN, uh, which is a local news station down here in Miami, Florida. And so I'd been working at WSVN for, I guess, over a year at that point, um, or just about a year at that point, and, you know, had covered the Heat and the Panthers and the Dolphins and subsequently also the Marlins. Um, And so Craig and I were sort of paired together. We hit it off right away, at least in my view, I think we did. (laughs) I'm sure Craig Craig would say the same. I guess we'll have to ask. Uh, But we got along right from the And me, I knew at least what I had anticipated really true just getting in as a producer, I felt lucky to just be attached to what Craig had done because I respect the work that, that he's done covering the Marlins for years and other teams down here in South Florida for that matter. And so from the producer side, I fully anticipated my role sort of just being prompting questions to him. He answers prompt the next question and produce the audio. Our podcast has evolved. Um, Craig has really embraced me and, and, been an awesome mentor and allowed me to have a little more opinion within our podcast as well, which I think has created more of a conversational feel, whether, you know, whether my opinion matters or not, I, that's up to the audience to decide, but I think it's been nice because it at least creates more of a conversation as opposed to just a question and answer every week. Um, but what we pride ourselves on with swings and missions is Craig is, is very much an insider. Um, he breaks a lot of Marlins news um, when you follow Craig media, you'll find that when you listen to the cast and I love to do this, Craig will drop hints on stuff that he already is kind of hearing weeks before it happens. And I'll end up coming to him two or three weeks later going, when you said blank two or three weeks ago, is that what you meant? It's like, you know, just a shrug, uh, you know? Um, and so uh, we pride ourselves on, on providing a lot of inside information. Um, and I think we also, you know, we, we break down what's going on with the team over given stretches, right? We're a weekly podcast. And so during the season, you can expect us to be breaking down the baseball and anything that's happened, but also, you know, we've had some of our biggest episodes right around the trade deadline, right around the draft, uh, with the opportunity to, to, interview folks as well. And, and to me, that's one of my very favorite things that we do is we've had the chance to interview quite a few people involved with the Marlins, whether they're players, front office, uh, former players, former broadcasters, all sorts of people around the team. Um, and so my personal favorite episodes are when we get to talk some baseball at the beginning, take a quick commercial break and come back with an interview. Uh, Cause I think that's the best stru- structure for us, but since the podcast started, we built out our own website, swingsandmishes.com. We also have Swings and Mishes in Espanol um, with Danny and Oscar, which I know you guys have have at least aware of. I don't know if you listened. If you don't understand Spanish, you know, that's a little difficult. But I'm glad that we have a Spanish language version of our podcast. And those two guys are just so talented, um, just really wonderful reporters. And then we also have a couple of guys who worked for Fish and Ian Smith and Louis Davila. 
that have also joined us suspicious is right so there's a little crossover there to begin with already uh so you know i i think that i love the work that we do i think that we try to provide a insider podcast for fans of the marlins to feel like they're always getting an opportunity to know what it's like around the team and it's we were talking a little bit pre-show how you know in the uk with game pass you're not, or you know with the mlb game pass you're not getting the pre and post game you're not getting the interactions with the players and i think what we tried to provide insight on is it's like in the clubhouse right craig's there nearly every day i'm there as often as i can we try to provide what the feeling is really like around the team what it's like around the front office and that's why we talk to the player try to relay that back i was really proud of the episode we did this week where craig was talking about what it's like being around the team right now in this new covid precautionary world um, I thought that that was really cool insight for fans. So um, I'm proud of the work that we do. I think it's wonderful because all of the Marlins podcasts and entities that exist right now sort of play off each other well. Mm. You know, I think Fish Stripes provide something that we don't. We provide something that you don't. You provide something that Fish Stripes doesn't. And we all can kind of basically be a circle in that way, right? And, and kind of give all Marlins fans an outlet that's a little bit different. So there's different things to consume. So I think that's something really wonderful that exists within the sort of niche Marlins media sphere that exists right now, right? Like until the Marlins are where we anticipate they are in a couple of years, we're it. So, you know, we're having a good time with it. And, and so are you guys. And I just think that, that accessibility and relating to the fans is the biggest thing in any of these podcasts. So, um, yeah. That's why I'm happy to join in with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. It's I, I, and I echo what you've said there. The the podcasts are, are awesome, and they they do fill that kind of need for that. I guess insider knowledge. That that's the bit that I think is the the specific niche there. And and, and Craig's awesome. Uh, he's been on the show with me a couple of times, and he's always very gracious with his time on that front. So, uh, and he's he's very engaging to talk with as well, for sure. So um, he's a great guy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, yeah, guys. Well, let's 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 get stuck in. I guess let maybe let's work backwards. Um, All right. The, the most recent major announcement was the schedule, guys. So we mm. you know we've got a sixty game season. The schedule was, was released on Monday uh, evening, my time. Um, it was. I mean, it's a sixty game sprint. That's been the the terminology that's been used in the media uh, coverage this last what week and a half. Um, Eli, I'll come to you first. How is the schedule looking to you? Um, it's looking tough, I guess, but how's it looking? Yeah. And as a follow-up, hashtag why not us? <laughs> <laughs> as expected, it is as difficult as it comes. Uh, I mean, statistics bear that out in terms of how their opponents performed last year. All these teams being in the Eastern time zone and with the exception of the Orioles and the Blue Jays, all teams that are pretty determined to be competitive this year have a lot at stake this year. I mean, as much as we have looked at the Marlins and said, oh, it's such a shame they don't have these extra games. They're losing a lot with how the season has been shortened. In truth, all these teams are losing a lot from the difficult circumstances. And I'd say that especially it's these teams that are so focused on contending that they there's even more pressure on them to capitalize on the season, more urgency to get off to a hot start, obviously, now that considering that, basically all the season is is one start one big long stretch 
before uh, before determining which teams actually make it into the playoffs. So by playing 52 of the 60 games against teams last year that had a 500 record or better, it's uh, it's rough uh, for the Marlins, I guess, at this point. Uh, I mean, fortunately, it seems that almost all their key players are COVID-free. They're in camp, um, and that based on the looks that we've gotten at these workouts, uh, things appear to be going relatively smoothly in, on most of these individual cases. Um, so, I mean, I guess the team is in a position where you could see it, like, fulfilling its potential and doing as well as it possibly can. But uh, playing a lot of different opponents, um, I, I guess one thing that stuck out to me about this schedule is that, fortunately, they don't have any extreme stretches of playing consecutive games. There is, it's uh, in terms of the travel, the travel isn't quite as extensive as it usually is. The Marlins tend to be a team that, under normal circumstances, actually travel more distance than just about any other team on this side of the country. And uh, this year, just so happens that the way all this aligns, it's not quite as rigorous from that standpoint. And because these off days are fairly well spread out, that um, it, there's not going to be any one stretch where you can definitely see a sustained losing streak. Mm-hmm. But uh, just considering how short the schedule is, uh, I mean, Peter, you're familiar with the NFL and, and Jeremy, especially how in the NFL, it's there's so much importance on every single game because of how short it is that being a 16 game schedule. And it's not all that different in baseball where this year, 60 games, when you chop it down into individual series, it's only 20, 21 series for the entire season. And so every single time you have a series, if you sweep a series, it will feel so, so liberating and so exciting. And if you get swept, it would be equally as deflating on the other side. So it just puts so much emphasis on every single individual matchup it changes the entire viewing experience as a fan even if you're in the season where the expectations aren't all that high but uh, I guess the bottom line and we'll get more into it later is that the shortened season it does raise the ceiling of this Marlins team I frankly didn't see a path to them getting into the playoffs in 162 games I thought even finishing 500 in a full season would be extremely unlikely Uh, but in this case uh, you look across projection systems at fan graphs at baseball prospectus, playoff odds seven, maybe even eight percent for this team, and that is a far different story than it's been the last couple of years. Which is, um, it's a new feeling under this new administration. We haven't had this type of year with these possibilities, and that possibility is driven by all the depth they have at a variety of positions, combinations of veterans who we've seen perform before at the major league level, but also all these prospects that have great potential. And if just a few of these prospects have immediate success which is not all that outlandish. We see it across baseball every year where some prospects, the first time through the league, they, um, they're they really in command and it, the league hasn't adjusted to them yet that there is a scenario where this team uh, ends its drought, a drought that's now extended, what, 17 years since they last made the playoffs. And that possibility is definitely there this time, whereas that wasn't the case the last couple of years. Right, Jeremy, coming, coming to you next. Um, I guess with the need to come out hot in this 60-game sprint. Um, when I look at the actual first seven games, at least, I don't think they could have been any better than the Phillies and the Orioles, right? I mean, the I totally are- agree. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. I Well, and specific, was specifically how, you know, he was just on the Orioles, right? VR was just on the Orioles, feeling comfortable, knows a lot about that. It's not like their roster has has flipped over very much. It's a lot of the same guys from last year. And he was talking about, I know their body language. I know the pitches they throw. I know how to get hitters out. So when you are 
let's be let's call a spade a spade when you're probably at this moment the two teams in that group of 10 who are anticipated to do the worst right if you just had projected this out over 162 games right the marlins probably would have been projected to finish worse than the blue jays those are the two quote unquote worst teams well if you have any sort of advantage in that you know four game stretch two in baltimore two in miami Jonathan Viard's kind of giving it to you, number one, in terms of skill, but number two, in terms of his preparedness for that roster. Uh, and the Marlins also, like, the, it's the perfect example of the Marlins have no pressure. The Phillies have a ton of pressure. Like, if the Phillies do nothing over this 60-game stretch again, and JT Romuto's close to hitting, you know, his free agency, and everything is sort of working the way that it is for the Phillies, and Bryce Harper might have to leave for his pregnant wife, etc., they have to get off to a hot start. So if they lose game one because Sandy Alcantara has, you know, a gem of a performance on opening day, and now they're putting the pressure on themselves, all right, well, we got to take the next two, and the Marlins are playing free and loose, and then they go play four games with the Orioles, while the back half of their schedule is one of the most miserable things I've ever seen in terms of a stretch of the schedule. Those first seven games, if they could get off to like a five and two start, in those first seven, we're going to be sitting here having a really fun conversation because you got to remember, like Eli was just talking about, a three-game sweep or say they say they went all four against the Orioles somehow. A four-game winning streak in a 60-game season, that's like a 12-game winning streak in a regular season, mm-hmm. right? That, or, or, you know, an 11 or 12-game winning streak if you're doing the math differently. We'd be, if the Marlins won 11 or 12 games in a row, we'd all be losing our minds, right, at the beginning of the year. So if you could see the Marlins get off to even a four and three, five and two start and look decent through those first seven, it, it, it allows us to keep that sort of dream alive of the, hey, there's that 8% chance, right? If they go out there and they start two and five, we can just about squash all of our hopes of, a fun little run in this 60 game stretch. But if they start over 500 or particularly five and two, six and one, it's getting themselves a pretty good cushion right off the bat. I'd love to see those percentages after that. I mean, you know, six and one, right. 8% becomes what, 15 all of a sudden? Maybe yeah, more. I, mean, I don't know. It, it climbs a lot. It yeah. would climb a lot. I mean, look at how much of your schedule is already done there. I mean, that's. It to be at that type of percentage. So I think, it, is it realistic for us to sit here like, oh, the Marlins should be a playoff team? Absolutely not. Like, that's a, it's a, it would be by all intents and purposes, as we said, a bit of a fluke. But this whole season is that, right? And if the Marlins can channel with this, first of all, with the schedule that they have, if the Marlins were to make the playoffs, that's no fluke. That's overcoming a very, very difficult schedule, the most difficult schedule in baseball, even in a 60-game stretch. That would be remarkably impressive. There are some other teams that are middle-of-the-road type of teams that may have almost accidentally been handed an easy schedule that could go on a run, win a division, win a World Series, and we can all look at it and go, all right, so that was because of the way things worked out for them. But there are a couple of teams. The Orioles and Marlins are the two that come to the top of your head immediately because of the East divisions that if it would be kind of a miracle. See, 
happen considering where both of those organizations are supposed to be at the major league level right now? Yeah, absolutely. I, and when I was looking even, even further in advance and you could never play baseball out or any sports really on paper with a, like a, you can't put W's and, yeah. and L's on, on, on fixtures in advance. But if you start to think ahead, what I was looking at was, okay, you, you've got those first seven against those guys. Then you're into the Nats. Um, follow that up. You're probably at the back end of their rotation, the way that the numbers would stack up. So, okay, you're back end of rotation for Nats. Okay, great. Phillies are back in town. Um, you're back to the top of the rotation for the Phils. Great. The Mets, back end of the rotation for the Mets. Great. You missed a Grom. All of a sudden, you think, hey, yeah, maybe, you know, and actually then to follow it up, I think we got the, the Blue Jays. So our first 18 games, right. when I look at it, all of a sudden you can see a path. You can see a path if the Marlins play well. Right. We're dodging a few bullets. We're missing Max, missing DeGrom, where the, you know, the rotations line up. Right. You know, why not us? <laughs> yeah. Not us. Hey, when, when, when Michael Hill said that for the first time on one of these Zoom media sessions, mm-hmm. I was I was a bit taken back, taken back because while Craig and I had had conversations that were like that, and I'm sure you guys were having internal conversations that are like that with friends or you know fellow coworkers saying, "Hey, you know, with the 60 game schedule, it sure helps out the teams that aren't supposed to be as good." Blah 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 blah. But when to find out that the Marlins not only privately but publicly are saying, "Hey, why not?" You know, because there's a huge difference between telling your guys that and then telling us that you're telling your guys that, right? The, the motivation internally within the organization doesn't have to be shared. If Derek Jeter and Michael Hill want to motivate and Don Mattingly want to motivate by saying, hey, guys, we see an opportunity for you to succeed, fine. But for them to publicly come out and create these circumstances where we're all going to create the hashtag. Michael Hill said it five or six times. Why not us? 60-game sprint. Why not us? 60-game sprint, 60-game sprint. Why not us? Right? That's, that's the stuff that they're trying to get into our heads so that we can regurgitate it for them. And so to create that hype around a team in these circumstances does show you that there has to be some of that internal confidence isn't just smoke and mirrors. It's real. And that's, that's fun because that allows us to go, all right, so they think that VR and Dickerson and Aguilar with Cooper and Anderson and Miggy Rowe and maybe Monte, you know, it's kind of a fun little lineup. Yeah. You know, like they have confidence. And so it's exciting to see all these guys so free and loose and playing with that sort of, Hey, if it doesn't happen, whatever, but we might as well try to play spoiler. Yeah. I, I love that. That was, that was the first ever, media call I was, I've ever been on, sat on there feeling a bit nervous, a bit anxious, not quite sure how it's going to go. And, and Michael Hill comes out free and loose with a, hey, why not us? And I was like, holy shit, you know, <laughs> loving that. Um, you know, it was, that was great to hear. And I was thinking, but yeah, like you said, Jeremy, it's, you know, they may be saying that internally, but that, then to push it out to the media right. for us to then push it out, you know, hey, it creates a bit of the momentum. The interesting thing then is um, other fans that I engage with, they're all starting to think the same. They're all going, hey, what about the Marlins? I've heard a few other podcasts. Right. Hey, maybe the Marlins are in this, you know? So 
who knows? Like you said, if we start, you know, one and six or, you know, two and eight, we'll squash it. It'd be interesting to see what they do roster-wise, you know, hmm. as that plays out. Um, but I guess, Eli, Eli, coming back to you, and you kind of touched upon this as well anyway, if the Marlins are going to do well, what, what are going to be the keys to success for us? You know, where, where are we going to win games and go on this hot streak? <laughs> I try not to get – I understand why we focus so much on, on schedule – but ultimately, um, I, I try not to read too much into it because the bottom line is they'll need a couple of these other teams ahead of them to underachieve. I don't think it's going to be as simple as you're overtaking all of them. I think ultimately it will have to be a combination of both of these other teams that seem really well built and seem really motivated to win, falling back to earth, whether for reasons within their control or outside their control, who knows. Um, what makes it difficult to see from Marlins, I, I shouldn't say – difficult I should say what's so intriguing to me is it is going to be such a uh, interesting combination of players when I personally this is just my evaluation when I look at the projected Marlins opening day roster I don't think that's the roster that's going to get you to massively overachieve I think it is going to be a combination of some of these prospects that are going to have opportunities whether it's because a veteran underperforms or because um, just an urgency to win uh, just when you look at the Marlins rotation, uh, you're really excited by what you saw from Sandy last year. And I think there are good reasons to believe that he can still be a great starter moving forward. You saw what from Caleb at the beginning of 2019 before he was derailed a little bit by that hip injury. If he's able to regain that, then you feel really good about them at the top of their rotation. Uh, uh, beyond that, to be honest, I think you're going to have to see the impact of some of these young guys. And there's going to have to be a willingness from the organization to put these top prospects into situations where they can contribute, uh, especially this year, there's no minor league season. Um, they're doing their best to simulate that workload at this alternate site camp in Jupiter. Um, but really you have so many of these guys that are right on the cusp of being major league ready. And the reason why uh, fans are so excited about them in the first place is because the upside that they have with no disrespect from some of the starters we saw last year, uh, especially at the second half of 2019 in the Marlins rotation uh, on their very best days, it's going to take them on the very best days to make quality stars for you. Whereas in this next wave where you have Nick Neidert and Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera and uh, even Braxton Garrett further down there, uh, those are the guys that on their best days are dominant on those, their best days. They throw no hitters. They have the combination of command, uh, sharp secondary stuff, wipeout breaking balls, uh, whether it's Garrett's curveball or slider, from Edward Cabrera, Sixto Sanchez's changeup and his impeccable fastball command. Those are the guys that are the real difference makers. They're the ones that go up against a stacked Atlanta Braves lineup, a stacked Yankees lineup. And although those teams have everybody, you presume they have everybody healthy or most of their team healthy, it doesn't matter when these pitchers are on their best days. You're going to have to incorporate some of these prospects into the equation in order to like raise the ceiling for the team as a whole. It's, it's the same thing. It's not quite as urgent, but there's some opportunities on the position player side. Monte Harrison is the most obvious example. Uh, I, I guess you, you may, it was just in these past few days, so it probably didn't come up on your previous pod episode, but with Monte, the way he's impressing everybody here in summer camp, both um, on when he's facing some of these pitchers in simulated games, live batting practice, the monster home run he hit against Caleb, but also everything you already saw from him before summer camp because that's what Don Madden has emphasized is that most of these roster decisions were already made in advance of this summer camp. It's such a small sample size we're seeing right now that 
they're not going to put too much stock into it. Most of these decisions have been made. And uh, it seems like, especially because there are those couple extra active roster spots at the start of the season, 30 spots instead of 26, that someone like Monte will have a fit in there somewhere. Even if you're not exactly sure how to play him every single day, you, you need to get him on the roster just because of the ways he can impact the game in so many different ways. The only question with him being his swing and miss issues uh, that was very prevalent in 2018, less so in 2019, there's been a nice progression from him in that department. And if he's able to tap into that, if, if he is able to recognize pitches when they're in their zone, get into favorable counts where he's able to swing with all his might, then he has incredible upside. And um, I don't know, have we said Brian Anderson's name at all during this episode? Right. We shouldn't wait too long to say it because he's, he's been great each of the past two years. He was especially great right before his injury last year in July and for most of August last year. He was one of the best hitters in the entire league for that brief period. And even Garrett Cooper had a very similar offensive stretch right in the middle mm -hmm. of 2019 as well. So it's, yeah, it's very difficult to anticipate all this stuff clicking at the same time. But uh, what you really pay attention to is what is the best version of these players. And we've seen even in 2019, even with a team that lost 105 games, you, you saw a lot of these individual players uh, reach an excellent sustained hot streak at various points even if it wasn't fully reflected in their overall numbers. And that's, that's what gives you hope about what they can accomplish this year. Yeah. Yeah. I guess just, just while we're, um, while we're talking, well, I, just on the Monte stuff from, from Donnie's comments today, for me, Monday's inked in, he is inked into the 30 man. Mm -hmm. I, I just, I'm not reading that any other way. So that's exciting. Uh, and I think, uh, like you said, going back to spring with Monte, you know, what was it? First at bat or second at bat, whatever it was, got a hit, end up stealing two bases. You're like, whoa, okay, yep. Monte's here to do something. Um, and, um, you know, for me, just set the tone. And I think that's, that's what we need, right? And uh, they're the types of little, I guess, spark plugs we need in the lineup if we're going to do something mm -hmm. serious. But just on, on, on roster in general, were there any kind of major surprises in the 60? in the player pool and equally are there any kind of real outside shots that we think could even make the 30 uh, and that they're probably quite hard questions to answer but firstly on the 60 uh, there was a couple of names that kind of caught me off guard but it's probably my lack of knowledge <laughs> you want Eli on that one or me on that one? Oh, you go ahead Jeremy you, you, you take all right well, well so for 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 me I think uh the 60 was the the one that caught my eye a little more and not even in particular because it was like this big blasphemous thing or anything like that. But there are three young outfielders who the names are there. It's Meisner, Burdick, and then Victor Victor Mesa, who did not make uh, the 60 man, right? Victor Victor Mesa obviously was not quite, he's not a player who would have been ready to get called up to the big show uh, immediately. Obviously, he still has work to do in his game. Um, but because there are a few prospects who were added at other positions, Will Banfield was an initial one, although he's on the IL now, who are not major league ready, who were added specifically so the Marlins could do instructional work with them in Jupiter. With the whole show made of Victor Victor Mesa a couple years back with his signing, you would have I think then you would have hoped that in a situation like this, it would be obvious to add him to the 60. It was not. 
and the Marlins made their decision. And that doesn't mean they think any less of Victor Victor Mesa than projecting him as a big leaguer. That's just more saying he's a name you notice. And with Meisner and Burdick, it, it clearly a numbers game, right? There's only so many young, young, talented outfielders that you could add to this mix that aren't quite ready for to be an extension of the big league roster, right? You had to have enough players who you were willing to bring up to the big league roster on that 60 man. And so those are the three names that you looked at and went, okay, I get why they're left off, but they're the instant ones that come to mind. With the 30 man, I think the more interesting thing is going to be how do the Marlins use those extra four spots? Because as you mentioned, right, the Marlins could just carry Monte Harrison now and figure out what the starting lineup is after that, right? They could in their brains go, well, we have 30, screw it. He's there day one. And we'll figure out what the lineup is after that. But say they do that with one spot, right? How do you handle the other three? Is it all extra relievers so that you can really mix and match to the best of your ability throughout the season? Is it a couple of extra base runners or defensive replacements, right? Because maybe you've decided that Monte Harrison's going to start in right field and Jonathan VR is your starting center fielder, but late in the game, you may want somebody as a defensive replacement for VR. Who is that? Does that remain, say, John Birdie, who's a multi-positional utility man who can come off the bench and play just about anywhere, and thus, if you have him on your roster, you can add other pitchers as opposed to other backups? Is there another catcher that gets added to the 30-man? So you have three there just in case, right? So depending on what their organizational thought is as to how they want to attack each series, will probably change that roster construction. My bet is that their 30 is really closer to like a 32 or 33 in their head. And then same deal, their 28 is closer to a 30 or 31, and their 26 is closer to a 27, 28, where there are a few guys that'll be added and subtracted Whenever I, and, and I don't know if we've gotten the specific rules on how often or when those rosters can be reset, right? But every series, you could sort of approach it a little bit differently. You're facing the Yankees, or I know that's the last series of the year, so maybe that's a bad example. But you're facing, I don't know, uh, the Nationals, maybe you want to add an extra uh, runner because it's going to be low-scoring games because of good pitching but you're facing a team like the Braves that can really hit and you might want to add a couple extra relievers because of whatever reasoning. So in terms of specific players, I know I didn't really answer your question, but I think I'm just more intrigued to see the strategy as to where they start that 30-man roster because that will ultimately influence the type of guys they carry long-term. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I think the added wrinkle of switching to the DH, which actually takes away a lot of the flexibility or the in-game flexibility requirements. I guess it, you would tend to lean on those extra spots being more on the pitcher side because yep. you, you just don't need as many positional guys just because the yeah. DH there. That just is the natural thing. Well, well you know, absolutely. Oh, right. Sorry. Well, the other thing I want to bring to account, um, I personally, I just don't know if there's – opportunity to use all these extra pitchers um again just because the way the off days are spread out pretty well for the marlins because of the new extra inning rule that's um it's gonna make it very unlikely that they play beyond 10 innings or at the very most 11 innings right. you're not gonna have these marathon games if you think about a normal season and when you make those changes 
in your bullpen when, you know, quote unquote, you need a fresh arm. There are those times all the time during a regular season that you need a fresh arm and uh, not quite going to be all that many opportunities this year to do that. Um, and I, I guess at this point, uh, there's also, of course, the three batter rule as well. That's right. another new one for this year that even if you wanted to, if you were carrying uh, 16 pitchers on your roster, you know, 11 relievers, and you wanted to match them up a, a single batter at a time, uh, it's not really set up to do that quite the same way, even though Don Mattingly doesn't really use that approach anyway. Uh, but I just wanted to throw out a couple key dates for you when it comes to that roster. Of course, opening day for the Marlins is July 24th. The first date when it contracts from 30 to 28, that's going to be on August 6th. And then right. two weeks later on August 20th, it goes from 28 to 26. And it, it seems so quick. But then once we get to that 26, man, that's already almost half the season gone. And so it's the second well, half of the season that and, uh, and you I, play under the roster size you were expecting to have to begin with. And I'd love to add, wrapping it back around to Eli's first point, when we talk about some of these young prospects – who might actually get their shot at the show. You talked about, Peter, the first 18 games and how you see sort of a path in those first 18 games or so to be 11 and 7, 12 and 6, right? It's possible. You avoid the right pitcher. You get the right matchup. There's a shot to start, start hot. Well, right after that 18-game stretch, that's right about when the roster gets to 26, right? It's been over the first month or so that you're getting, it's just after, right? It's probably through 25, 26 games that, that you're cutting it off. But the point being, if the team does start that hot, I think that's actually the only way that we see a multitude of those prospects that we're talking about. I think a lot of folks are thinking, oh, well, if you're out of it, just bring them up and let them ride. Okay. So that might happen for guys like Monte Harrison, who he was already going to play Major League Baseball this season. At one point or another, he was going to play Major League Baseball this season. Maybe Alewin Diaz is another guy who they thought of that way. For the guys, I would think Sixto and Cabrera are similar, but for the guys like Braxton Garrett, for the guys like Longshot, Max Meyer, right, even Jazz Chisholm, you might not want to start their Major League clocks if you're out of it, if you think instructional ball over in Jupiter is helping them enough. So I actually, as weird as this sounds, they've looked at it and they've said this multiple times. They're looking at it as if they've gone through 102 games and they're tied for first, right? So if the Marlins through 102 games this season were tied for first place and Monte Harrison was tearing it up at double A AA or triple A, he'd be called up to the roster right? To give them that extra push. It's part of why Peter, I do also believe that he makes that opening day roster based off the way they're talking about him. And then as the season went along, if you're now 120 games in and you're still in first place, that might be when you call up Sixto and Cabrera and give them the sixth and seventh inning every other day and say, all right, go throw gas, right? Not to change your starting rotation, but no different than D-Train in 2003, no different than David Price with the Rays in what was 2007, 2008 when he first got called up, where you're projected as a starter long-term, but hey, we're making a run. And so we're going to have you come in once every three days and throw as hard as you can as a young superstar in the making in high-leverage situations because we've been training you you know, in the months in advance to be ready for this. Your arm's going to be relatively fresh. You're going to be ready to go. And, you know, at this point, 
one, I'd rather see in a, as crazy as this sounds, but like if all of a sudden you're in it and you got 30 games to go, who do you want to see on the mound? Sixto Sanchez and Edward Cabrera throwing a hundred or Brad Boxberger. And that's just a random example. I think Boxberger is actually one of the better relievers on the roster. So I, that's why <laughs> I I'm using him that. because yeah, he's called for, right. It, no, that's what I'm saying. He's a, I, I purposely did that because he's one of the better relievers who, who would not be replaced by one of those guys. Right. But what do you want to see? You want to see one of those live young arms coming in and getting those key outs. So it's possible. And, and I'm sorry, that did feel, I, I was trying to use a random name. I should have just said generic reliever. You want to <laughs> see them or generic reliever, but that was the first name that came to mind. But still the whole premise there is if those guys can't help and go get you three outs or face three batters, that might be when you see them, not if the Marlins are out of it very quickly. So I think that we have to make sure that our thinking is right on the Marlins have to compete this season a little bit to be able to see all the guys that we want to see get, get those call-ups. Yeah, it makes sense. It, it makes sense if, if we're out of it and don't stop the clock. There's no need to stop the clock when, you know, for, for 20 games of relief, it's just not worth it. Right. Right. Um, just, just we're talking about the rotation. You know, interesting. I think nuggets of information again on that point today from from Donny. With um, uh, I don't know if we're right to assume that four of the five is cemented. And I'm thinking back to, you know, with Arena in particular last year. Obviously, he was yeah. they tried him out as the closer. I mean, is he nailed on to to be a starter? Probably, you'd think yes. And then Donny talked about what seemed to be quite a competitive battle actually for the fifth spot you know it was like is, is yams nailed on he said well no these guys are in camp um and he you know rattled through some names so how do we see that playing out guys i mean could it even be a point where they they just take a, a flyer on you know nick Nidert or whatever right now i mean what do you think eli well again this is one of these situations where you need to weigh what the team is saying what maddenly is saying and what their actual intentions are um he's been I think one thing he said repeatedly is how confident he feels about these starters being fully stretched out, yep. being feeling as if they're ready, as if it was back in March, as if it was gearing up for the start of a normal full length season. And uh, we're going to be seeing like a good test example of that on Thursday afternoon. We got a simulated game where both Caleb and Sandy are scheduled to go what, about five innings. And uh, so that's good for them if they're there. I'm not entirely sold on the fact that all of these starting candidates are completely stretched out. I, I think when you realize that, um, all the different regimens that these players have been going through during the stoppage. I don't think it's realistic to expect that all of them are equally prepared for the situation. There was, I mean, during the shutdown, there were certain restrictions on allowing these players into the facility. Uh, there was even the, that brief stretch where the Marlins had to close down the facility. All every team closed down their spring facility for a moment when there was uh, concerns about, about cleanliness and, and COVID leaking around there. Um, I, I just, We'll have to find out whether all those guys are fully stretched out. My suspicion is that you're going to see some piggybacking, which is a phrase that I guess we haven't really used with the Marlins uh, as far as I can remember, but something you see, of course, a lot in the minor leagues. You've seen it with some other teams across majors is where you do have five primary starters, but you also have a few guys that are ready and waiting for multi-ending appearances right behind them. And that's how you justify having someone like Yamamoto and Duggar and Nick Neidert all on the opening day roster, you have a couple of those guys that are designated as piggyback guys out of the bullpen where uh, you're not expecting the primary starter to take you all the way through the game. 
and that leaves uh, significant innings for this other arm to handle, another guy that you can trust to go multiple times through the lineup and try to patch together games mostly with two guys on a particular day instead of just one. So that's my suspicion is that it's a bit of a cop-out that we don't we see more than five conventional starters make the roster. We have five that are labeled starters, but you see more of those type of guys involved with the team at some point, at least at the beginning of the year. And then, but I imagine, as we said, when rosters shrink a little bit, a couple spots at a time, that's when they'll have to make some tough decisions on that end. Yeah. I think it's possible, as you mentioned that, and sorry, just to, to, to piggyback off your piggybacking comment, uh, the, a guy that's a perfect example of someone who could start, and every single time that he starts, you say, hey, go get us twice through the order, and then we're going to the next guy, is Jordan Yamamoto, right? He's not a guy with overwhelming stuff. The third time you're facing him, and we saw last year, his stats the third time through the order were significantly different than the first and second time through the order. And as a guy that doesn't have a ton of velocity, it would make a lot of sense to have Yamamoto as quote-unquote fifth starter with Eliezer Hernandez right there waiting for a three or four inning appearance after Yamamoto's gone say four innings or whatever it is so you, I think that it's a wonderful uh, concept that they could have and I wonder if even it's possible that then say say Yamamoto and Pablo were the guys that they thought about as not as stretched out starters that they want to piggyback off of well, maybe rather than making Pablo and Yamamoto your prospective three and five starters, as we all have it in our head, maybe one of them is actually much earlier in the rotation so that you can properly space out that long reliever as well. Like maybe Eliezer becomes the guy who's always coming in for to, to piggyback off of Pablo and off of Yamamoto so that there's a proper space between. So it's possible that they could sort of spread it out that way. Although today it was specifically said that, like you mentioned, five starters, you know, we won't be doing a quote unquote six man rotation, but like you mentioned, that doesn't mean that those starters couldn't verge on being closer to like openers. Right. So exactly. I just wanted to sort of add that little tidbit as well. No, it's, it, it's good. I, the, the one other thing I've took, taken away from, I guess, from the rotation perspective, Sandy sat down, maybe last, last week, I think it was, and came out and was like, I'm ready. And yeah. I'm ready to go full go. You know, that was, I, I know I love that from Sandy. There was no, he wasn't, uh, I guess, shy about sharing that. And I think Donnie's, I guess, backed that up. He said, listen, Sandy's turned up. He's already, he's already ready to rock and roll pretty much. I, I think he feels like he could go eight, eight, nine right now, probably. So yeah, that was nice to hear. I'm not sure. We haven't heard from, uh, we haven't heard from Arania or, or Caleb yet. Um, we obviously heard from Pablo, but, you know, not sure where those guys are at. But, you know, I think, like you said, Smithy's going at least five innings tomorrow in simulated games. So I think he must be getting there too. So it's going to be an interesting mix and match. I think one thing with that Donnie has ruled out is a six man or a, I guess a, an official six man. Again, <laughs> you know, what? Yeah, nothing's conventional this year. I think that's the point as well is right. everyone's mixing and matching so much. So. You know, I'm excited to see how it plays out um, for sure on the, on the rotation side. Just just kind of going on to the, the rules, um, the rule changes, what do we, beyond the DH, or maybe the DH is one, but, you know, what, what's most likely to kind of stick and be here for good? Um, Eli, I'll come to you first on that one. Well, the DH is inevitable. I hate to say it, Jeremy, yeah. but 
it is inevitable long term at least there, there was um mm -hmm. I, I believe there is somewhat of a, a, a confusion as to whether it applies for 2021 because next year is technically not part of the new collective bargaining agreement yet i, I think the I mean, the bottom line is that under the new CBA will be added because it adds more jobs for the players. It adds more offense, which I think generally, if they survey most fans, the majority of fans would prefer a higher scoring game to a lower scoring game. Um, but yeah, the incentive is there obviously for the players to have more jobs and uh, to not have pitchers embarrass themselves. It's no fault of the pitchers. It's just the culture that we're in, uh, in terms of developing players is in such a situation that if you're a gifted young pitcher, especially in the U.S., you specialize so much on that pitching that you don't develop um, that all-around game to be a hitter, and you're just not in a position to be competitive as a hitter once you reach the major league. So uh, that's why uh, that's a very concise explanation of why I'm on board with that coming aboard. Um, all these other rules, I, I hope the extra innings thing doesn't last. It's something. It's very gimmicky. It has a little bit of a developmental. Um, actual like contribution if you're in the minor leagues it does come from minor league baseball and on that end there is incentives for those games to end early so as to not overwork young players but the fact that you're just fundamentally changing the entire structure of an inning at the most important time of the game where the entire game hangs in the balance i don't like it i don't think it's necessary i've been an advocate of ties that's what they use in south korea for the korean baseball organization that everybody's gotten more adjusted to right now because they've been playing for the last two months. And if I have it correctly, they've not had a single tie so far this year, but technically if they do play 12 completed innings and no team is ahead, then that's the way that they resolve the game. And I think personally that just takes care of those handful of games each year that really drive everybody crazy. Um, when you have those late games that as, as much of a fun novelty as it can be, the reality is that most fans do not stay up to watch those uh, if, considering uh, their other responsibilities that they have outside of baseball. And it, it's still great to have in the postseason, of course. I mean, those are some of the most memorable postseason games are the ones that go deep into the night and have all sorts of unpredictable innings. But in terms of a regular full-length regular season, hoping that we have that in the future, um, assuming that this pandemic is eventually handled here in the U.S., that you have a full-length regular season moving forward, uh, I think it's okay to experiment with it for this year, but I don't see that one sticking around beyond 2020. Yeah, and, and does the the runner on on second does that carry through into the postseason this year? No, in the postseason they would play uh -uh. traditionally. They would. I don't think they would let that impact. Yeah, it's actually. not in. Yeah, it's not in the postseason this year. Good. Um, Good. <laughs> yeah, just so I can add add my two cents to those rules. I apologized uh, to me for the DH probably sticking around long-term for a reason. Uh, I hate that the DH is coming to the National League. I love that there is a hole in the order that you have to strategically figure out offensively and defensively. I think that baseball is chess, and that's part of what makes baseball the beautiful game that it is. And by removing that element, uh, I think you really – I really do believe that you decreased the value of what the game is. Um, I am so an anti-DH, but at the same time, I'm pro baseball labor, and I love that there will now be 15 more positions that will be paid like real legitimate big league baseball players. Um, I think that's wonderful for Major League Baseball, and so I'll understand that why after the 2021 CBA you know, expires, that that will probably be wrapped in. Um, so with the fact that at the moment there's no DH for next year, 
I will savor every dang moment of a pitcher at bat and the awkward double switches and all of it. And I hope that I hope that the NL managers next year go overboard with double switches and pitchers batting strangely in the lineup and all of that, because it's some of my favorite stuff in baseball and I'll miss it. Uh, in regard to the extra inning rule, I also actually disagree a bit with you guys. I think that uh, it's kind of cool. So if you're going to go ahead and pervert the national league with the DH, you might as well add in this rule that added some real action, right? Because, you know, I know it's chick stick the long ball, right? That was the old phrase or whatever. And, which was, you know, outdated at this point anyway. But the, the whole premise that we all are, you know, big fans of the home run, I'm actually such a bigger fan of seeing a run driven in naturally, right? Trying, having to make a decision as to how you want to drive in that run too, which is such an interesting element. I wish that the rule was a runner on first with no outs so that people like Eli could get really upset when, when people sacrifice bunted the guy over to second base. Um, and quote-unquote wasted an out to get a runner in scoring position, I wish that that choice had to be made, right? Because it is. It's a choice. It goes against all... You might say it's not a choice, but there's a choice <laughs> that you can make the decision to do a sacrifice bunt or not. That's probably never going to happen with a runner standing on second. But I love the idea that an extra innings game could be one on a single, Right? we spend so much of extra innings now and the whole game just trying to drive in runs via the home run that, that it's going to be kind of nice to have a runner standing on second and say, all right, drive him in. Whether that's a single, whether that's, you know, a single and he's held up at third and now you're stealing second. And you got runners on second and third and an open base at first. And now they have to decide on an intentional walk. Like all of the strategy of baseball happens when there's runners on base and the amount of runners on base not via the walk has significantly decreased over the last number of years. So I kind of don't hate the rule, especially if it just remains as a regular season rule, right? Like Eli mentioned the best games in baseball history in the postseason are the, the extra inning ones that just float on forever. Um, but during the regular season as a means to not have to call something at a tie and maybe, you know, maybe it, Hey, if it goes 12, call it as a tie. But if you start with a runner on second base and say both teams score one run in the 10th and then nobody scores in the 11th and then both teams score two runs in the 12th, and there's more action in those three extra innings than there might have been the entire game before that. So I think it is kind of a fun way to become enticing um, that if you've stuck around through nine innings, you're going to keep sticking around because there's definitely going to be stakes in the extra innings rather than the current form where if you get to extras, there's no stakes because you're still just playing another inning where oh nobody's going to score or whatever the case might be. So I don't hate the rule as a regular season rule. If it became part of the postseason, then the overall thought there is right, right? You're changing the game way too much and the ultimate result might change because you have one reliever who gives up a broken bat single, right? That yeah. it is a bit different. Um, but I, I don't hate it as a regular season rule, Espe oh man, especially in a 60-game season like this where every yeah. game matters so much. If one game goes to extra innings, it could change your entire season. It's, it could be pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, Jeremy, I think I'm on your side of the fence here. <laughs> um, I, All right. I've already, I've already touched upon the DH on, on our last um, uh, episode on, on Fish Across the Pond and 
I was just surprised about, uh, and just to, to recap on that, if, if you didn't yeah. <laughs> hear my view, I was just surprised last year, everyone was losing their minds about this minimum three batter rule and the strategy it takes out of the game. Everyone was going bananas. This rule, the DH, is seismic in comparison to that. And no one's losing their heads. I totally agree. I totally agree. 1,000% agree with you. 1,000%. Because, oh, so we can't mix and match righties and lefties? No one used to do that anyway. Now what you're doing is you're adding an extra hitter to a league that has never had that before. Career, not that ERA is the perfect number, right? But all sorts of numbers for pitchers are about the bar has to change. Like the bar has to change for what's a good pitcher now. And it's just, it's, it affects the game so much long-term in terms of development of players, in terms of all of it, that that's such a bigger rule than, than yeah, the folks who were losing it over, oh, well, now a pitcher actually has to face three batters. He can't come in and just face one lefty. Like, ah, oh, gosh, the disappointment is just so superior. It's, oh, it's raining <laughs> over me. I didn't need this. <laughs> well, I, I, and I, I, I kind of like the, the fun element. I, I think the, the good thing about this year, it's a 60-game season. If we have things we're thinking about testing, do them now. Um, why not? The thing I'd like to see more would be more day games. And that is purely from yes. a selfish perspective. <laughs> Only for time yeah. zone differences. I, I know, and it was interesting to hear from Donnie on that when he was asked that question about day games, particularly, and he said, yes, there are day games in this schedule before it was announced. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I could see he wasn't that pleased about that situation. Mm-hmm. He said, particularly, you know, with this, the notion that the players have to be socially distant and sitting in the stands, um, you know, try doing that in a day game in, in Washington, you know, with, you know, without the shade, it is not nice. So I could see he wasn't happy with that. I'm purely thinking about it from my own perspective of, you know, it means I can watch it at the right kind of hour for me. So, Hey ho. Um, but it looks like we've got 13 actually. Yeah, my rough count was what? 13 UK yeah. friendly start times. Is that right? Hey, that's, that's a pretty good. That's good a number. pretty good amount. That's a pretty good amount of games, right? That's a that's a quarter of your schedule. You're feeling good. I feel, I'd take. I'm feeling yeah. refreshed. I'm feeling relaxed on that one. Yeah. Look yeah, at that sleep I mean, schedule. The big, the big benefit is that, of course, even at the very latest, uh, if you're in the right mood, you could see yourself staying up for the seven o'clock Eastern start times. They don't have because they don't go west further. I mean, those are the right. ones that are really ridiculous for where you are. I imagine. Yeah. Oh, Ag- agreed. I- there's no way I could I could do that. I mean, when whenever out playing West, that is, I never watch any of them live. Um, you know, the three, four in the morning start time or whatever is just, you know, too much. And we're normally out West when we're, you know, 30 and 70 or whatever in the last season or two. So that ain't happening. Um, it's a totally unrelated to the Marlins, but my one story of trying to watch a sporting event in Europe was I uh, took a, bu- a trip with some buddies after college um, as a, you know, hey, we're going to go to Europe because we're, you know, white guys in America that decided to travel. That's what we do when we graduate college. And so we, we took a trip over and we had a flight that this was in June and we had a flight that actually left. I want to say we were in Italy and went to, to Greece or I, yeah, I think that's what it was. And we went from at midnight. And so when we landed in Greece and actually got to our hotel, it was the start of game four of the 2017 NBA finals. And so we just stayed up for it. 
and then went to bed afterward. But it was like, we were so thrown off because the entire, we missed, you know, it was a two week trip. This was toward the end of it. We had missed all of the playoffs up until that point because of, you know, the time that we had been away and watching it at that time threw off everything the next day. So I wouldn't be exactly staying up for like Marlins Padres at three or four in the morning uh, on the West coast. If I were out there in the UK. No. And I guess the way that things are structured this year, not going to have to deal with that issue. Like Eli was alluding to there that, you know, we haven't got the West coast um, right. uh, element to, to worry about. The East is brutal. We've already touched upon that. So it's, it's going to be, and I think just to kind of round things off, we've, I've got a final little segment for you guys. We always finish and pick things up with guests now with a quick fire round. So you guys won't escape that. I've got it locked and loaded here. <laughs> um, but, but really, I guess we've got a 60 game sprint in what is the, the most brutal schedule and division. If the Marlins get there to the postseason, um, we'd have earned it. I'm so excited having only followed the Marlins since 2016 to go into the end of July in the hunt. And I'm going to be, you know, the heart's going to be pounding for every game into, into August. Yeah. And, you know, we'll see how it goes. So I'm really excited for this. Like there's, you know, it's not the ideal situation for anyone, but I'm going to embrace it and going to enjoy it. So, you know, let's see how it goes. Um, right guys, I'm going to let you get out the wall before I let you get, get out of here. Let's get this quick fire round. It's kind of either uh, predictions uh, in terms of, um, players or, um, or a, a, a grade on, on the draft, but let's, let's rattle through these. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of flick it across. We'll, we'll start with Eli, go to Jeremy and we'll, we'll fire in. So first one up and it, we'll start with the draft, a grade, a draft grade from a Marlins perspective, six picks, six arms. At the moment, I need to give them an F because they've only signed one guy. That's the one thing that's been nagging at me is that um, this is a technicality. This is ruining your game. But at this moment, <laughs> there are only 16 draft picks across all Major League Baseball that haven't signed. Five of them are Marlins. Wow. They're expected to be signed. But for whatever yeah. reason, the team's been very deliberate with all those except for Max Meyer. But assuming everybody gets signed, B+. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to give them an A. Uh, I think that I think that Max Meyer is going to be a star. Um, I really do. The more I watch of his college highlights and not even highlights, but there are some games that are kind of partially available that are out there with, with him. And the more I watch of him, the more I fall in love with his game. When I hear him say that the guy that he loves to watch is Max Scherzer and he wants, he oozes emotion, and he wants to be a bulldog on the mound. He's saying all the right keywords to get my heart racing. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that alone, if he turns into what I think he can turn into, it's almost irrelevant what the rest of the draft was. And I think that some of those arms were wonderful flyers in particular. And I, listening to DJ Spillick, I know this is supposed to be a rapid round, but this is the last sentence. Listening to DJ Spillick, I thought it was really cool the balance that they had between guys who they drafted specifically based off of their potential and guys that they drafted specifically based off of their production. And it was obvious which guys were which, but all of them were clear analytical plays of, we think that this guy has this great pitch. And so we can figure the rest out. And so I just thought that it was really impressive to see. I anticipate DJ Spillick only being a part of this organization for so much longer. He's just such a bright mind that he's going to thrive in baseball. And we'll look back one day and go, 
well, it makes sense that the Marlins came back, right? Because this was the guy helping to draft. Absolutely. He, I don't think he's put a foot wrong yet um, in, mm-hmm. in, in barely any of his picks. So, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I, I, so I guess it's either an A or a, you know, a B, <laughs> B plus at the moment, barring signatures. I did love the sure. Max Dax one-two punch. That was my <laughs> favorite. Like, just the names, but equally, I love the pick. I love both of those picks in, in particular. So those were the yeah. two that really stood out for me, um, for sure. So, okay, good. Actually, Jeremy, I'll come to you first because we've got into okay. Max Meyer here. Okay. A percentage likelihood that we see him pitch this year? 8%. Oh, okay. Eli? I originally said only 1%, but I think that was too harsh. I'm at about 3%. Okay. okay. Yep. Okay. Good. Um, team number of wins. What's going to be the win and loss count? Who, who you first start with? 23. 23 and 37. I'll be on the pessimistic end, I imagine, of that. But uh, probably last place in the division. Anything above <laughs> that would be gravy, and I'd be – I'd be the most thrilled person in the world if they do overachieve, but I'm setting the bar pretty low. Jeremy? I'll, I'll, I'll go 29. I think that's a, a significantly higher. I think if they finish 29 and 31, even without making the playoffs, that would be like a really great season that we'd all feel really good about because there would be some highs and not too many lows. Um, but I also don't want to set up the expectations to be ridiculous. I don't want to sit here and talk like they should be above 500. They shouldn't be. So I'm going to be optimistic and say 29 because it's optimistic, but I'm not trying to go <laughs> overboard. Yeah. It really, when you look at it objectively, we should probably be nearer Eli's number. Of course. Know, of uh, course. You know, as we start things out. But I guess the vibe I'm getting, you know, mm-hmm. health-wise – it's positive. And everyone's coming out just saying, I'm ready to go. I'm feeling good. We're feeling good. Why not us? I mean, it's just, you know, over and over and over, you know, we're in a pennant race, you know, we're a, you know, 60 game sprint. Why not us? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, 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 I'm absolutely <laughs> buying what they're selling. So. Drink, drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, I really am. I really am. So it could go horribly wrong. But anyway, um, Jeremy, come to you first on this one. Home run leader. Ooh. Home run leader. How about a Monte Harrison? Oh, love it. Love it. Eli? If... Garrett Cooper. And I probably wouldn't have said him before, but with the DH spot, um, whether he's yeah. DHing or whether one of the other Marlins are, I, I think that opens up a possibility for him to play pretty much every day. And he has power to all fields. He's just yep. got to stay healthy. That's the key. I'd be ecstatic to see Cooper be the guy. I hope he was the first name that came to my head before Monte Harrison. So I'd be ecstatic to see him be that guy. Also, he has the ability, like you just mentioned. You, you've been watching that clip on, on, uh, on Twitter, haven't you? Of him hitting that home run Monte Harrison. So that's what, that's what, that's got your juices flowing. I think on that one. Yep. <laughs> I just, uh, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. Yeah. He's a good guy. Well, let me, let me actually, uh, the next one in, in this queue here is uh, Stolen Base Leader. Jeremy, come to you on that one. Jonathan VR. I think uh, I just anticipate him being on base more than most guys. So the, the probability is there. Yeah, I agree. Um, 
And because probably entering the season, you could see him as a likely mid-season trade candidate, um, given all the circumstances right now, given how the proximity between the trade deadline and the end of the regular season, I don't think it's going to be worth the Marlins trouble to trade him. And uh, right. I think he'll be here all summer and he'll be pretty productive all summer. He is, he's a really special base runner. And uh, both the eye test bears that out and statistically he's so valuable on the bases. So Donnie is going to give him the green light. That's, that's a big key is just giving him the flexibility and earning Donnie's trust in order to run whenever he sees fit. Yeah. Bonus question here that I hadn't anticipated, but I need to ask it now. Um, VR re-signs with the Marlins, yes or no, at the end of the year? That's a no for me. <laughs> Jeremy? I'm going to lean no also, not because I just want to specify why. I don't think that it'll be the type of thing where VR will rule out re-signing, nor do I think the Marlins will rule out re-signing VR. But if Jazz Chisholm is playing as well as we anticipate him playing, and that's another infielder. And Monte Harrison emerges the way we think he can, and he can likely play center field. There's not, it's not, this, this organization is not actually the perfect place for VR to be long-term. There's, there's depth in those areas where he might fit more. Yeah, I completely agree. That there's seemingly, there's not the value in paying the money there Right. We have the positions already covered. So, you know, why, why, why do that? Um, so, okay. Um, last two, and I'll get you guys out of here. The win leader. I mean, this wins in general is a bit of a funky stat anyway, in some ways, but I think what we're going to have max, what if they have a five man rotation rolling around, you've got what, 12, 13 starts max. Is that right? Is it that kind of range? So yeah, 12, yeah, 12. it's 12, 12 start maximum. Yeah. 12 starts max. Eli, who's the, the, win, win, the win leader? Pablo Lopez is going to have six wins this year. Whoa. So in my math, almost a quarter of the team's wins. Pablo is going to have a very good year and he's going to get run support when he starts. I'm not sure if that run support's going to be there on, on all the other days consistently, but not sure if the bullpen is going to hold up for the other pitchers, but Pablo, the win leader for 2020. Whoa. Love it. Whoa. Okay. Follow, follow that one up. <laughs> I, you know, all right. So I'm going to say Caleb Smith tied with someone at, I don't know who the other person is going to be at four wins. The reason I only say four wins is because I think that this team is gonna there's gonna be a lot of close games this year, I think, across the league, because every game does feel that much more important and games are gonna be played that way, as if everybody's in this pennant race. Mm-hmm. And so there's often more close games that way. And I just think Caleb will be really solid and hopefully he'll be one of the, the leaders and wins. I think that, you know, his only issue ever has really been health. Um and so you know, since coming up with the Marlins. And so if he can stay healthy for two months, then he could and maybe should be the wins leader, which is crazy that neither of us said Zandy, but I think we're trying to be contrarian. I think we can both easily assume when we say Sandy, it's obvious, you know, he's the guy. No, I, I believe in Pablo. That's, that's just my personal assessment is I think, uh, Pablo is going to Pablo could have a great year. Yeah. I think it's very easy for us to, it's, it's hard to remember how quickly our opinions change on these players, how swayed we are by very small sample sizes. Of them. So I think I, a lot of faith in Pablo and what he's going to do this year. I can't wait to see it.
Well, if you listen to this pod, and I know you guys do, you know I'm a Pablo guy. I'm, I'm sat here yeah. looking at his bobblehead right in front of me. And uh, actually, the, the bullpen, uh, the, the rotation is looking good. Jose's staring at me too. So um, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to, for my call on this one, um, I'm going to lean to Rainier. I don't know why. I just feel like, you know, you know, we've got the full mix, guys. I mean, really, when we strip it back on the rotation, We've got a solid rotation. That what that's what Donnie yeah. said. He went, listen, I felt good about the pitching coming in. Even in 60, I still feel good about it. I mean, rotation's young, it's healthy, you know. Why not us? <laughs> and you have seen Jose has gone on some couple of month stretches where he's yeah. been one of the better pitchers in all of baseball. So to to throw out, hey, for a couple months it could be Jose, you're not wrong. I I they've got four solidified like starting major league pitchers with that fifth spot up for grabs and a number of guys chasing it. It's a good spot to be in. Yeah. Agreed. Well, my final one, the final question of this, we, I guess we kind of answered it already, but anyway, it was, it, it was going to be postseason, Yes or no, but I'm guessing for, for Eli, we're not going to get it done with, uh, with what was it? 23 wins. So, um, and I don't think 29 is probably going to be, I mean, what do we think the number will need to be? I think the number, I think to be a playoff team, I would have to bet you got to get to like 32, right? Like there might be a wild card team that's in it 32 or 33 wins, which is why I don't think it's impossible. Like by saying 29, that's only three or four games that need to go your way to all of a sudden have a shot at a wild card spot. Um, will there be some division winners that really run it up? Like there could, it'd be, it's going to be crazy. There's going to be a team that goes and wins 48 games. Like it's totally possible that some team would have been on a projection for X, Y, Z. Cause every year there are teams that start hot like that. Mm-hmm. So that's possible too, but I would think 32, 33 gets you in. Um, although who knows, it could be a major cluster um, of, of teams all together. So uh, yeah, there's Absolutely. a little shot. There's a little shot. Yeah. Have some fun with it. <laughs> loving it um i think i think that wraps it up for this one guys it's it's been awesome talking to you guys we've we've communicated on twitter for at least two years <laughs> not more forever so this was, firstly i must say this was way overdue um yeah and equally let's make sure we do it again um we need eli to go and move house get his broadband <laughs> set up and, and all like, that yeah I need to do a lot of things. I got to get my hair cut. Got to get my <laughs> microphone set up. I haven't got my hair cut in seven months, but. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah. So. Got a bit of Bryce Hopper about it right now. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah. It looks good, man. Keep the flow. Thank you. It'll be, it'll be a different me, a different looking me, but, but same takes. And yes, <laughs> Peter, Peter, it's a pleasure. This is what episode 48, you said? Of the podcast? 48. 48. Yeah, I've, I've been 47 for 47 so far. It's, it's must listen it. to content, but the relationship you have with other guys on the pod. And of course, some of the new interviews that you've had recently have been, yeah, uh, it's been great. You, you should keep it up. You don't need me on every episode, but yeah, I'd be thrilled to come back in the future. Yeah. You're terrific, man. I, I really believe what you guys are doing is, is one of the coolest things uh, that I've seen around podcasting and baseball and having that sort of presence out there in the UK. It's just awesome. And the camaraderie, of how you guys all all get along, like you were mentioning at the beginning, and yeah, I mean the interviews you've done recently have been amazing too. So I I know I'm I'm proud to be on here. I'm excited to be on here, Eli. Likewise with you, man. Obviously the work that you're doing. So 
this was way overdue, and I hope that we do get an opportunity to do it again when the Marlins start, you know, 13 and 5 or whatever they do as we're predicting. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, if, if that happens, guys, I'm going to be, I'm going to be calling emergency podcasts and everything. Yeah. It's, and it's probably a few, a few brewskis deep, probably. Just, just going, all right. You might be singing Justin Timberlake um, renditions. <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be slurring Who the Who knows what's going on? <laughs> guys. Thanks so much for your time. I thought that was a really fun episode. And, and equally, we could have gone on and on and on, no doubt about that. So let's let's take the opportunity next time to uh, uh, to come together and, and do another hour or so. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, so there we go. That's 48 in the books. Eli Sussman and Jeremy Taché. Uh, hope we'll, we'll speak again soon, guys. Appreciate your time. Thanks to the listeners, guys. As always, um, feedback is always welcome. And we'll be back very, very soon. 